This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 165. Recording October 12th, 2023. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor. Not Anchor. Sometimes it's hard to forget about that. Uh, Podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So I don't this place places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So definitely got a bit of stuff to talk about, including some redesigns for some consoles, potentially uh, Telltale games five years later, potential maybe Seinfeld reunion, and the usual sports and film type stuff going on. So without further ado, along with maybe one or two other things, let's head on down to boxofficemojo.com. And look at what's faring at the theaters. With horror being obviously the big attraction. Twelve more weeks until the new year. The Exorcist Believer. Brand new movie. And as far as I know... The only new movie that's actually new. $26.4 million over the weekend. I heard it's not doing well critically, but... The numbers as of Tuesday the 10th, 31.2 domestic and 20.7 internationally. So it's near 52 million worldwide. I heard this was kind of a failure, but I want to see what the budget was. The Exorcist Believer budget. Huh. Some people were calling it a failure, but 30 million? This should be somewhat of a hit. Not huge, but Probably enough to make some sort of profit. It is the horror stuff after all. It's an R-rated one, not some PG-13 film. So, who knows? Number two, Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. 11.3 million, and that's the last of the double-digit millions. 41.6 domestic and 48.2 internationally. So this is probably already getting the profits that that's making. Though I wonder how much longer this will be in the theater though. Probably a couple more weeks if I had to assume because of the nature of this being a a film for little kids, even though it carries a PG rating, which I do find a little surprising. Maybe there's some stuff in the film that warrants it. Number three, Saw X, 7.8 million. 
sitting pretty decently. 34.2 domestic and 23.9 internationally. Maybe just being away for a long time probably helps this film a little bit in terms of what it makes in the theater. That's something I actually want to look at at some point. I want to look at all the Saw movies, get a look at them, and see how they fared all along. Because it seemed kind of like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and a few other movies. There seemed to be a new one every year, and maybe a couple instances every two, you know, couple years in between. But that's just my thought. Number four, The Creator. About 6.2 million in the theater. Sitting at 26.9 mil. Domestic and 36.9 internationally. And basically we have a film that is more than likely going to be looked at as a flop. $80 million budget and probably, you know, I think about it, I don't think I saw much in advertising, if I'm being honest. Still, probably needs to make about $120, just to make it feel like it didn't flop that badly. Number five, The Blind. 3.2 million over the weekend. It's made about 11.4 million. I think this is one of those films that probably is just going to stay here in the States. I mean, considering, you know, how many people really care about the Duck Dynasty guy? I mean, maybe some people do, but did it really need a film? That's just what I'm thinking. Anyway. Number six. A Haunting in Venice. 2.6 million. Not too bad altogether worldwide. I mean, the numbers are not great. 36.3 domestic and 67 internationally. But to make over 100 million, for the most part, definitely sustainable enough. If there is any sort of profitability, it probably is there, but very... Very minuscule, if I had to guess. Number seven, the Nun Two. Two point looks like two point six million. About an almost ninety thousand dollar difference. Almost close to two hundred fifty million altogether. Eighty one point seven domestic, and one sixty seven point seven internationally. So it's yeah, probably it could have some legs, kind of, if there's still some theaters willing to have it. It is starting to drop in theaters, though. 
last couple of weeks it's been dropping and it's down to almost 2,500 theaters. So probably its ride is almost over, if I had to guess. Number eight, Dumb Money, $2.1 million for a movie that hasn't fared well commercially, despite there's, I mean, 11.2 domestic and 1.7 internationally. I just think people don't care about, it was kind of that fad type of story, that was what, a year or two ago? Of all the stuff regarding GameStop, it, or maybe just the nature of the film, trying to be like the big short, if I had to guess. I don't know. I mean, it won't be a huge failure, but still. Number nine, the exp- the Equalizer three, one point eight million. Definitely having a bit of fun. Definitely will reach ninety million soon. Eighty-nine point two domestic, seventy-eight point five internationally. No doubt, this will probably be a success for Columbia and Sony, especially considering how it's fared initially and still holding on a little bit. And number 10 is a re-release of a movie. Hocus Pocus. 1.6 million. Kind of fitting to see that happen. This was like a film that didn't exactly do well when it first came out in 93. It's made about 2.1 2.1 million and probably going to be in the theater for another week or two if I had to guess. Not too many theaters either, so. Which is kind of weird. 1,400 theaters. You think Disney would maybe. I'm not saying like do 3,000 theaters, but do 2,000, especially for considering how much of a cult hit has become over the years and how it's a mainstay on television and just looking to see what else is in the theater it is the first time we have Barbie outside of the top 10 so that should tell you that how much it's waning in the theater and same thing with um, in recent weeks with Oppenheimer so yeah, <laughs> um, there's not a lot out this weekend. There is a limited release of a movie called Once Within the Time, but the big thing is a Taylor Swift The Eras tour. There was something I read recently where I think like. 100 million in tickets altogether, which I'll believe it when I see it if the numbers come out accurately on Monday or Tuesday. 
crazy to think. I mean, if if it really is a hundred plus million in tickets, it would certainly give Hollywood a big boost in the arm, considering how the last few weeks have been. Really, I'd say how this month, month and a half has been. Especially considering that high they had for the Barbenheimer stuff, and even early in the spring with stuff like Super Mario. I'm pretty curious to see how that goes. Not much else coming out. There's a re-release of The Hunger Games. A limited release of a movie. What is Love? Player Possum. Dragon Ball Z Battle of the Gods. <laughs> a re-release of a movie that came out ten years ago. This Fathom Events Company, I feel like they they try to give like smaller stuff like a chance to to shine. And prior to next next Friday, Onyx the Fortune Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. You know, just to see what else is there, let's take a look at the 20th. The Canterville Ghost, the other Zoe, Deep Sky, Butcher's Crossing, and Malibu Horror Story. Those are the limited releases. Some unknown title, some movie that Universal has not told anyone. It's Supposed to have a nationwide release. Killers of the Flower Moon. I have seen advertisements for that film. It's a brand new Martin Scorsese film. With Leonardo DiCaprio with him again. Along with another old favorite of Martin. Robert De Niro. And the other wide release is Soulmates. Now that sounds like a horror. Yep. Horror movie. Yep. Oh, that is interesting. So basically, just to explain this plot, according to the description, follows Allison and Jason, two unsuspecting strangers who must find their way out of a nightmarish maze where they were forced to get into part as part of a twisted new dating service created to help them find their soulmate. Like, it's crazy. Soul. Soul Mates movie. Um, no, it's not what I'm looking for. Give me some foreign movie. Let's take a look. Soulmates for huh. keeps giving me weird stuff. Is this supposed to be like a re-release or something? But yeah, I mean, it, this is what you get. It's horror movies up the butt. Definitely we'll talk more next week regarding what's coming out on the horizon for for movies. Definitely we'll talk about what's coming out on the 27th.
just crazy to think all this horror stuff and one film that comes out last weekend of October you think would would have fared a chance if it came out maybe a little earlier but yeah so far I mean Hollywood's probably hoping that they can get all these strikes finished so they can promote stuff I, I really have no comment <laughs> there's not a lot I could think of with television though one thing that caught my eye a little bit is the idea of a Seinfeld reunion seriously the there's an idea of a potential Seinfeld Seinfeld reunion according to like multiple sites talking about it Guardian Variety USA Today basically Seinfeld reunion Jerry Seinfeld says something is going to happen related to sitcoms divisive finale according to Variety so Seinfeld who is in his late 60's doing stand up in Boston and I think there was like questions being asked and he talked about the idea of a potential potential reunion coming about which feels very unseinfeld like if I had to guess. And I'll try my best to explain it. When Seinfeld was on the air, it did things differently. It stood out among your typical sitcoms of the eighties and nineties. You know, there wasn't anything like a Cosby show or anything like that. It was basically four a-hole jerks. There was no happy ending throughout most of the show's run. Things would not go their way for, for Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer. Some instances, sure, but in the end, they're still pricks. <laughs> Because that's that's what worked. That's what made it such a huge hit once people started noticing the show. Once it picked up. You know, I would say in the 90s, the early 90s was a wild west of, of stuff. If you could understand. It was... It was a seed planted, I'd say, in the late 80s when you had shows like Married with Children, Roseanne, and a few other stuff. The Simpsons, Fresh Prince, you know, shows that went a little further than your typical sitcom. Although although those examples are more family-oriented stuff with some dysfunction here and there. 
Seinfeld, although not a family sitcom, it doesn't center around a family, had dysfunction all the way with, with its characters. And all the nuttiness of New York City during the 90s. Which, like I said, it, it just feels very un-Seinfeld-like. Un the idea of reunion... I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't. But if this is something like, say... If this is going to be another season of Curb Your Enthusiasm where they try to do something Seinfeld-related. I could see that, actually. They did that around 2009. They did a season centered around the idea of bringing back Seinfeld and Larry David trying to help get that working together as a way to get his wife back. And they did do a storyline... You see some footage as Larry watches the episode, the new episode, where George invested his money into an app that did really well, but gave all his money to Bernie Madoff. <laughs> and the process, I mean, Kramer's still Kramer. Elaine has a baby, or at least a child. I think the storyline I remember from that is Jerry and Elaine have a child. And George was married, got divorced, and his back was trying to get back with her. That's the best that I can remember out of it. But if this is a way to make up... If this is going to be an actual Seinfeld episode or hour-long thing and not a Curb Your Enthusiasm thing, I could see people feeling both happy and maybe a little frustrated, if I had to guess. Because the series finale, if I'm being honest, it's not a good series finale. It it basically, if it, I think the joke is it's supposed to be like a kangaroo court type of thing where everything gets lumped onto them and their punishment is a year in prison. Along with the not, along with breaking the Good Samaritan law and all these other people for like the most minuscule stuff. I mean, it's one thing to hate on the characters for doing stupid stuff or causing certain things to happen. And honestly, I think the only character that would probably have a longer sentence is probably George. Which, uh, for a particular episode late in the show's run, that's all I'm going to say. I mean, watched by many, but still probably gets... It's your, like, yeah, it's a good finale. No, it's not. You know, that sort of, that sort of thing. I, I honestly have no, nothing else really to say on it, because it, it could be just a pipe dream, or it could be a Curb Your Enthusiasm idea. I mean, the idea of Larry David being involved. I mean, 
maybe maybe it's a, maybe it's a new curb season idea that that occurs or i mean if if they do come up with something creative will all of them be involved will all four actors be involved will there be anyone else i mean could you get someone like Newman or shoot Jackie Childs can't get the parents all of them are passed away i don't know be interesting to see down the road if anything does develop. But otherwise, I'm a little optimistic. Be kind of cool, but also be kind of disappointing because you got... Now these days, tr- people trying to bring back some 90s properties and all that. And... I don't know. There's a special place for certain things from the 90s, but... <sighs> so, going to move on to... Move on to sports. Look at week five stuff of the NFL. And look at a few other sport-related stuff. Nope, that's not what I'm looking for. And we're going to start off with the Bears-Commanders Bears, uh, game. Last year they played on Thursday night and it was one of the most boring games on the planet. But it did give us the small little rise of Brian Robinson. Coming from his uh, his first game, following that shooting that occurred, you know his NFL debut, he actually did okay that game. But Bears forty to twenty, they get their first win of the year, avoid an own five start for the first time since ninety seven. Commanders dropped three in a row now. Justin Fields, his accuracy not there, but 282, four touchdowns. Galil Herbert, 76 yards, but I did hear he had an injury. Fields did run for 57 as well. DJ Moore, eight catches for 230 and three scores. Cole Komet had the other touchdown, 42 yards overall. Sam Howell, really good game, 388, two scores and a pick. He led in rushing, 19 yards, but Brian Robinson struggled, 10 yards. Logan Thomas led receiving with 77 and a score, 9 catches. Curtis Samuel had a score as well, 65 yards receiving. Antonio Gibson actually had a good receiving game, 4 catches for 64 yards. Spread the ball all around. McLaurin had 4 catches, Robinson had 4 just not the results that you want. And a clean game by the Bears, actually. No fumbles, no interceptions. One each for uh, Washington. I don't know if Ron Rivera will be on the hot seat, but probably the seat will get hotter if they keep losing more. Another London game. Jacksonville against Buffalo. 
Both teams at three and two for the year, twenty five twenty Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence, three fifteen, one score. Travis Etienne had a big game, hundred thirty six yards, two scores. Calvin Ridley, huge game, one twenty two on seven catches receiving. Christian Kirk, seventy eight that was the second closest. Zay Jones, twenty three and a score. Now as far as Buffalo goes, Josh Allen, pretty good game. 359, two scores and a pick. Led in rushing with 14, but he did have a rushing score as well. Damian Harris had 13. That was your next closest. James Cook, very abysmal. Five carries for negative four. Stephon Diggs, 121 and a score. Gabe Davis had another score as well, 100 yards. Next closest is this Hardy guy, 62 yards. Rest didn't do as much. There were a lot of injuries in that game, actually. I find that hard to believe. A uh, couple little, couple fumbles by Jacksonville. And a fumble and an interception for Buffalo. So they lost a number of guys, Buffalo, defensively, including uh, Matt Milano with a fractured leg. And more than likely, like it was said, um... His season is over. And a couple other guys got hurt too. I'm not sure if they were season ending or not, but... Everyone suddenly becomes a turf expert when they think that all teams should be playing on natural grass. It's a lot easier said than done. While the costs, I think are more cheaper with using natural grass compared to artificial turf, you really have to keep it maintained every day. It's not the same as maintaining the grass at Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or or Wrigley Field or any of those. It's not as easy as they think. And those fields have to be maintained every day for baseball. Even though the grass won't get as rough compared to football. High schools struggle with having good grass if they're not using artificial turf. I don't think I don't think the change is ever going to happen. I think it's just unfortunate uh, circumstances, and you know, it, it, it's not. It's a lot easier said than done. There might be a lot of issues that stem from certain things. But I'll tell you one thing I'd have a lot of issues with. I'd have a lot of issues being a Pats fan. Now, my own father, he grew up around some Pats fans. Shoot, he had had a TV back then that was able to get New England Patriot games you know, from long ago, during the days when they were, like, bad, and some of the Drew Bledsoe days, I believe. So he knows people around his age that have seen the mediocrity of of how the team was. We have a new generation of fans who have probably been spoiled so much over the years. 
the last time they've had a double-digit losing season was, I think, 2000. The first year under Bill Belichick. And he's only had three double-digit losing seasons. 91 and 95 in Cleveland and 2000 in, uh, in New England. And if this game was any indication, I think we're going to see that. I think the next closest to having double-digit losing seasons for so long without one, it, probably Pittsburgh, because I think it was 2003. 34 nothing New Orleans Saints. 3-2 and two for the year, the Saints. The Pats are now 1-4. and four. Derek Carr, okay game, 183, two scores. Alvin Kamara, 80 yards and a score. Michael Thomas, four catches for 65 yards. That led all that led all receiving, and Kendry Miller, not too far, 53. Chris Olave, 12 yards and a score, and Foster Moreau uh, got a score as well. The Pats, Mac Jones, 122 interceptions. Bailey Zapp, 3 for 9, 22 yards. So, 15 for 31. That's less than 50%. Ramondre Stevenson, 24 yards rushing. Ezekiel Elliott, not too far. 21 yards. Kendrick Bourne led all receiving with 43 yards. The rest is just abysmal. Not even Hunter Henry got a catch. And that's saying something. There's something I read along the lines of or listen to, that Belichick is still sticking with Mac Jones. And people saying he's not the main problem, but there's some things going on. I think having three different coordinators over the course of these two-plus seasons... It's hurting Mac Jones. Once Josh McDaniels left, he has not been the same. Part of the problem as well, I think, is just the type of play calling they do. They don't they don't run the ball much. And I feel like that's been kind of a problem here and there with New England over the years. And the type of people they have, I mean, they could do well, but... They're just not used properly. I'm not even sure how the offensive line is, if I'm being honest. So, I don't know. It's going to be one of those situations that... Who knows what goes on. But if this team can't go anywhere, I would like to think that Bill O'Brien is probably going to get fired. Something's got to change at some point. So the Indianapolis Colts, 3-2 and two now for the year, 23-16 victory over the Tennessee Titans, who are 2-3 and three now for the year. Tennessee is just hard to gauge. Tannehill, 264, one pick. Derrick Henry led all rushing with 43 yards, but Tajay Spears, 
get his first NFL touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins had a really good game, 140 on eight catches. The next closest was Spears with 35. Tell you what, I give him credit at least for trying to throw it to Derrick Henry a couple times. But still. Anthony Richardson did start the game, 98 yards, and he did run a couple times. But he got hurt with his uh, his shoulder. Gardner Minshew came in, 155, 11 for 14. So 20 for 26, I mean, that's a pretty good game. Zach Moss, another big game, 165, two scores. Jonathan Taylor, his first game back, 18 yards rushing. So probably easing him in until he gets back into what the Colts hope for. He signed a deal, I think it was three years, $42 million. Leading and receiving was Josh Downs, six catches, 97 yards. Next closest was Michael Pittman, 52 yards. Pretty much a pretty much a clean game all around outside of the interception. Only one sack given up by both sides. That's that's saying something. Pittsburgh Steelers. Woo. How about that victory? 17-10 victory over Baltimore. Both teams 3 and 2 now for the year. Lamar Jackson, 236 and a pick. Gus Edwards led in rushing, 48 yards. Justice Hill had the touchdown rushing. We have Zay Flowers leading the receiving at 73 yards. Mark Andrews and Nelson Aguilar had good games too. The rest, not so much. Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett. Not a great game accuracy-wise. 224 and a score. Jalen Warren, 40 yards rushing. They got to figure out a way to get that run game going. George Pickens, 130 and a score. The big play that determined the victory. Next closest was Warren with 39 yards. No one else really had a good game. And there's a lot of questions going on in Pittsburgh whether or not this team can even gain any type of big plays offensively. 289 yards, and there's a lot of question marks with uh, Matt Canada, who I was looking at a Pittsburgh site. They have yet to hit 400 yards of total offense or more since he became the coordinator a couple of years ago. And to keep in mind, he, he was the coordinator during the last year of Ben Roethlisberger's career. And that's saying something. So far, it's just been a weird roller coaster. I don't know if he'd get fired or not. A deep playoff run probably wouldn't solve it. If I had to guess. I don't know. Hard to tell. But a lot of turnovers for uh, Baltimore. Got to clean it up. How about the Detroit Lions? 4-1. With a 42-24 victory over the Carolina Panthers. Who are now 0-5. 
Bryce Young, two sides. The good, 247 and three scores. The bad side, two interceptions. Chuba Hubbard led the, in rushing, 35 yards. Miles Sanders not too far with 32. Adam Thielen had a big game, 11 catches, 107 in the score. Next closest was Jonathan Mingo, 48 yards, but DJ Chark had a touchdown as well. For Detroit, Jared Goff, 236, three scores. He also ran for a touchdown as well. David Montgomery, 109 in the score, rushing. Another touchdown came with uh, Craig Reynolds, who ran for 50-plus yards. Josh Reynolds, 76 in the score. Sam Laporta, 47, two scores. And the rest, not any huge results. Khalif Raymond had 45 yards. Detroit is coming, and they are coming with a vengeance. Clean game for Detroit, too, unlike uh, Carolina with three turnovers. So we have Atlanta. Three three and two uh, season right now with a big victory, 21-19 over Houston. Houston did okay. C.J. Stroud, 249 in the score. He has yet to throw a pick, and that's saying something. He has begun his career with the longest amount of pass attempts without interception, without throwing his first pick. I'd say that's pretty impressive. What isn't impressive is the run game. Damian Pierce, 66 yards rushing on 20 carries. Dalton Schultz led in receiving 65 yards and a touchdown. Next closest was Tank Dell with 57 yards. Atlanta. Desmond Ritter had a really good game, 329 in the score. Bijan Robinson led in rushing with 46, although Ritter did run for a score. Kyle Pitts led in receiving, 7 for 87. Drake London, the next closest, with 78 yards. Robinson had the receiving touchdown. But the, but that coup guy, some big field goals. Although they did not have the cleanest of games. A couple fumbles by Atlanta. Clean game by Houston. I mean, they, they may not be the biggest name for this year, but probably in, in, in a year or so, they'll definitely be there. Miami. This is probably going to be the best team in the AFC. And that's saying something, because I'll definitely talk about Kansas City a little bit. Uh, beating Giants, 31-16, 4-1 Miami, 1-4 New York. Uh, pretty bad injury for uh, Daniel Jones, 119. No scores, no picks. Tyrod Taylor did come in, 86 yards passing. What's the guy's name? Eric Gray, leading in rushing, 25 yards. Darren Waller led in receiving, 86 yards. The rest 
didn't do so much. Now Miami, it's a weird thing. Tua Tugaviola, 308, two scores, but two picks. Uh, Devon Achan, 151 in the score, but this is the one thing I've been telling a couple people about. It takes one injury to derail a season. And Achan is going to be out for a while with a knee injury. Because this is probably the AFC team to worry about due to the speed of these guys. Raheem Mostert, 65 in the score. Tyreek Hill, 181 in the score. Jalen Waddell had a touchdown. That, to me, is going to be a huge question mark whether these guys can stay healthy or not because they could represent the AFC in the Super Bowl potentially. But injuries, I think, play a factor. And I think we're going to be seeing a rude awakening at some point if Mostert can't hold on to the ball. I would have had Buffalo at number two if it weren't for their injuries defensively. I have I would have Kansas City at number two, but I'll definitely like I said I'll be talking about the Chiefs in a little bit. Cincinnati with a big win, thirty four twenty over Arizona, who's now one and four for the year. Joe Burrow, big game, three seventeen, three scores, one pick. Joe Mixon ran for eighty one yards, but the big one, Jamar Chase, fifteen catches, which is a team record. 192, three scores. Next closest was Trenton Irwin with 60 yards. And they're doing this without T. Higgins, so that's pretty impressive. Joshua Dobbs, pretty bad game. 166, two scores, two picks. James Conner had 46 yards, but leading in rushing was Rondale Moore. Probably some big like rec- like receiver jet type plays. There was a touchdown for Amari Demarcado. I don't know what the health issue is with Connor, but probably this Demarcado guy probably going to lead the way. Marquise Brown led in uh, receiving 61 yards and a score. More the next closest with. Uh, 26. The other touchdown came to Zacherts. Yeah, not anything too grand. Three turnovers by Arizona. The interception being the only thing for uh, Cincinnati. I don't think Philadelphia, despite being 5-0, and is a good team. Or at least elite in that sense. A 23-14 to win over the L.A. Rams. Jalen Hurts, pretty good game. 303, one score, one pick. He led in rushing with 72 and a score. DeAndre Swift had 70. A.J. Brown, 127. That led all receiving. Dallas Goddard had 117 in the score. Next closest was DeAndre Swift with 38. On six catches. 
I guess what I take offense with a little bit when I look at Philadelphia is just at times their inability to be consistent with running the ball. And maybe this is the cynic in me, but my gut tells me there's going to be a Randall Cunningham type of situation where Hertz can't stay healthy a couple times during his career, like season-ending type injuries. Granted, we're talking a different era of Cunningham being hurt in the 90s and and Hurts still a young player with talent, but I don't know. Matthew Stafford, 222, two scores, leading and rushing, Kyron Williams, 53 yards, Cooper Cup, his first game back from injury, 118, but Puka Nakua, 71 yards and a score, and Tutu Atwell had the other touchdown. Pretty much a clean game all around except for the interception, and yeah, I'll definitely say my thoughts on the team that, that I think could win the Super Bowl in a little bit. How about the New York Jets? They actually won a game. 31-21 over Denver. 2-3 and three now for the year. The Jets, Broncos, 1-4. and four. So I think that honeymoon period is over for, I think, Sean Payton. Zach Wilson, not a good game. 199, no touchdowns and a pick. But Brees Hall, 177 in the score. That came on a 70-plus yard play. I think this is the type of game that I think people have been waiting for since last year when he tore his, um, when he had that leg injury. Not sure if it was an ACL injury, I forget. Leading in receiving was Tyler Conklin, 67 yards. Next closest was Garrett Wilson with 54. Russell Wilson, 196, two scores. Jaleel McLaughlin, 68 yards rushing. Samaj Payrine led in receiving with 73 yards. Adam Troutman had a touchdown on 26 yards. McLaughlin had a receiving touchdown, 21 yards. I believe they did fumble, yeah, three fumbles in the game by uh, Denver, including one from Wilson, I believe, which Peyton chewed him out on that. It's a little weird because they're doing better offensively, but like a lot of Sean Payne teams, the defense is just at times so atrocious. Kansas City closing it out a little bit. 27-20 victory over Minnesota. 4-1 now for the year. 1-4 Minnesota. That should be deeply concerning. Mahomes, 281, two scores. Isaiah Pacheco, 55 in rushing and a score. It's just weird that they don't give the ball much to to Clyde Edwards-Elaire. 
Travis Kelsey, 67 yards on 10 carries and a score. And I believe Rasheed Rice had the other touchdown as well. Definitely some concerns a little bit with Kelsey. I believe he had like an ankle injury a little bit, came back and got his touchdown. Kirk Cousins, 284, two scores. Down game for Alexander Madison. He led in rushing with 26 yards. Jordan Addison led in receiving 64 and a score. Next closest was TJ Hawkinson with 51. Madison had the receiving touchdown on 20 yards. Pretty much a clean game. Not many sacks. The only blemish, a fumble. Otherwise, mostly clean. Hooey. Let's talk the Sunday night game. Dallas Cowboys manhandled 42-10 San Francisco 5-0 for the year. Pretty bad game for Dak Prescott. 153, a touchdown, three interceptions. Tony Pollard, 29 yards rushing. That led all Dallas running backs or runners. C.D. Lamb led in receiving 49 yards, and Cavante Turpin had the touchdown. Otherwise, pretty bad game. Brock Purdy, on the other hand, big game. 252, four touchdowns. Even Sam Darnold got in during garbage time. 69 yards for Jordan Mason. Just want to look for a second. Because there are definitely injury issues on both on both teams. So, just going to take a look for a brief moment if there's any news. I just want to... I thought maybe there was a... Injury thing, but eh. Uh, Mason, 69 in the score. Christian McCaffrey, 51 in the score. George Kittle, three catches, 67 yards. All touchdowns. And those were his first three scores of the season. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, next closest with 58. And Kyle Jasiak. I gotta figure out how to pronounce his name. Uh, he had the touchdown, uh, the other touchdown, four catches for 26 yards. Let's see if there's any fumbles. Yeah, f- four turnovers all around. This is probably the team that will go to the Super Bowl, San Francisco. The way they've been playing, the way they've run the ball, the way they've thrown it. Maybe a hiccup here and there from Purdy, but otherwise this team is on a whole nother level. And they face Philadelphia late in the year, so it'll be an interesting matchup to see how the teams fare late in the season. Rounding out Monday Night Football, Las Vegas Raiders, 
two and three now with a seventeen to thirteen victory over Green Bay. Two and three is the pack. Jordan Love, one eighty two, no touchdowns, three picks, including the one to end the game. AJ Dillon led the way, seventy six yards rushing and a score. Christian Watson, ninety one yards that led all receiving. No one else really had a huge game. Jimmy Garoppolo, 208, one touchdown, one pick. Josh Jacobs, 69 yards and a score. Jacoby Myers, 75 and a score. Devontae Adams, not a huge game against his former team, 45 yards. But pretty much bad game for, for the pack. And it makes you wonder if this team is capable of even being a potential playoff team. Right now, two and three, they're a couple games behind the Lions. The Lions are in the driver's seat right now, and they control their own destiny, despite the season still being kind of early, five games in. The Lions have yet to win their division since 1993. They won it that year, back when it was called the NFC Central. But then again, let's think about it. Aaron Rodgers struggled his first year in Green Bay. I think that was the last time the Packers had a double-digit losing season. I believe that was a 6-10 team. Obviously, they picked it up the following year, and maybe maybe people may find that similar with love at some point. Think about it. Rodgers had to wait a couple of years because of Brett Favre. Love had to wait a couple of years because of Rodgers. It just seems like a connect-the-dots type of thing. Maybe once they figure out how to utilize love a bit more, people will love love. I'm just I'm just guessing. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> NASCAR came and went. Now we're down to the round of eight. The Charlotte Roval. And good old Dingling one, AJ Almondinger. The top ten as follows. William Byron second. Kyle Bush third. Not enough to to advance, unfortunately. Ty Gibbs, fourth. Joe Logano, fifth. Tyler Reddick, sixth. Chris Buescher, seventh. Alex Bowman, eighth. Chase Elliott, ninth. And Ross Chastain, tenth. As far as others, Ryan Priest, eleventh. Ryan Blaney, twelfth. Kyle Larson, thirteenth. Austin Dillon, fourteenth. Chris Bell, fifteenth. Bubba Wallace, Bubba Wallace, sixteenth. Brad Keselowski, eighteenth. Kevin Harvick, 19th. Martin Truex, 20th. Eric Almarola, 21st. Harrison Burton, 24th. Austin Centric, 25th. Chase Briscoe, 28th. Ty Dillon, 31st. Michael McDowell, 32nd. Daniel Suarez, 33rd. Ricky Stenhouse, 34th. Eric Jones, 36th. And Denny Hamlin, dead last with 37th. So, taking a look at the standings, 
the remaining eight as follows. We have Byron leading the way, Truex second, Hamlin third, Larson fourth, Busher fifth, Bell sixth, Reddick seventh, and Blaney eighth. Keselowski, Chastain, Wallace, and Bush were all eliminated. So, yeah. Ought to be interesting. A few more weeks of this, and we'll figure out our winner come November. Now, if you were to look at the MLB playoffs, it's been a weird one. But most of the series have been over. And there's only one playoff series left for the divisional series. Now, the ALCS is already set. And it will be a battle in Texas. Some close games. But the Texas Rangers swept the Baltimore Orioles. I think it's just a team just getting hot at the right time. And Baltimore did kind of have a rough end of the year as far as the month of September. They, I mean, they did still play well, but the whole AL East was just... It just seemed like everyone struggled. Nobody looked sharp enough to be playoff ready. You know, in, in Baltimore, in Toronto, in Tampa Bay. I think this taste of playoffs with with the lights getting brighter, I think we're going to see probably a better team next year focus on what to do and maybe have that jitters out of being in the playoffs for the first time in, in many years. I think it's just, I think the way Tampa's managed, it's just, I'm not sure if they're capable of ever getting a World Series in this lifetime. And Toronto, I don't know what to make of it. They got a young group of guys that could do well. We have guys like Bo Bichette and uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and some of these guys that are pitching pretty well, reviving Kevin Gossman, for example. Don't know what to tell you. And, of course, Minnesota losing to Houston. Minnesota just, I mean, they were lucky to even advance. But but probably the big shocker right now is the Arizona Diamondbacks sweeping the L.A. Dodgers. This core group of pitchers and batters coming in at the right times, and this was a close game. 4-2 victory. Especially this Corbin Carroll guy and a few others. They... They're, they're in the championship series for the first time in over 15 years. And that's saying something. They have yet to been to a World Series since 01 
the only time they ever won it. But right now, the other series that's still going is the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and they had a pretty good victory against Atlanta. And they lead the series 2-1. The Braves, strong team throughout the year, but just kind of collapsing in of itself. Just saying. Just saying. We do have NHL going preseason. It's starting to see a bit... Actually, it has the season begun. Actually, take a look. Yep, we started the season, actually. Starting to see... See that happen? Not all the teams have started, though, but... Guarantee we'll... It'll be interesting to see where things go. No, the NBA. I think the NBA is still doing. I think the NBA is still in preseason. No, I don't want that. Yep, preseason still. Whoo. <laughs> oh man, there's a guy there, Miles Bridges. Worn out for his arrest. Some of these players, it's just some of these NBA players. You see it with any any sport, but just did he get drafted this year? Hmm. Did he? Okay, he did play a couple years. 2018 first round. Huh. Yeah, that's just... Just that region in general. You know, Memphis, Charlotte, some of these players here, it's just weird. Anyway, moving lastly to gaming. So there's been some potential redesigns and system ideas for both the PS5 and the Xbox Series line. There's potentially a redesign for... For Xbox, and this was not too long ago, about almost a month, multiple websites, a, a leak, potentially, that supposedly could come out next year, discless Xbox Series X. They're from a document regarding the Federal Trade Commission against Microsoft potentially a 2 terabyte Xbox Series X and I don't know 
I'm not sure if I like the idea of it. If there's an add-on for having a disk drive, that'll be cool, but otherwise, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be one of those things that comes out at maybe $500. And Sony is potentially doing a slim, which... They've they've done slims for all of their main all their main systems and yeah this is as recently in the last twenty four hours coming out this November. So, yeah. I'll look at it from GameSpot. The slimmed-down console will affect both existing models, the all-digital version and the one with the disk drive, reduced in volume by more than 30%, weight by 20, 18%, and 24 compared to previous models, 1 terabyte SSD for increased storage, the new slim with the disk drive will cost the same at $499. $50 price increase to $449 all digital. Once the current stock has been sold through, the new slim will be the only option available for purchase. Purchase a separate Ultra HD Blu ray disk drive for $70. supports the external drive. That's that's pretty good. Still, $500 though? Man. I'm not sure if I like that. Every company just isn't doing price cuts. It kind of bothers me because I bought a PS4 for 300 with one terabyte. Actually, and I take it back, 250 because it was during the summer, and they had it for for 250, and you know, I bought Xbox One for 200 almost five years ago on around close to Black Friday. It's disappointing. I blame I blame a little bit on Nintendo with the Switch not having a price cut or anything. I, even stuff like the Wii U, no bigger price cuts outside of doing one a year after the Wii U came out and being at $300 for the rest of its run. I just don't like that. I feel like you should try to... Even, even if it was like a $50 drop, yeah. And the last thing I'll talk about is Telltale. So, it's been about five years since they shut down. There is a new version of it. They came out with something uh, not too long ago this year. And one of the very first episodes I ever did was talking about Telltale. So what is Telltale? 
It was a company formed in 2004 by people that were part of LucasArts. And when LucasArts decided to stop doing point-and-click games, they decided to create their own company and try to bring back that genre. And some stuff here and there with some properties of LucasArts, Sam and Max, Monkey Island. They worked on games based on the CSI franchise, particularly the original, back when CSI was super popular. The number one show on TV for a few years. They worked on a Wallace and Gromit game and one or two other things, but their biggest claim to fame initially was Back to the Future which they did a new game back in 2010 through 2011. They worked on a couple other projects, including a Jurassic Park one, and for phones, Law and Order. But their biggest success came in the form of The Walking Dead, and it was just kind of a match made in heaven, and hitting before the iron got that hot. With The Walking Dead TV show starting to pick up a bit, and this game, it just, it was a perfect marriage. The way the story was done, the way they did the gameplay, and many other things, it it was a huge hit. But, this was both a blessing and a curse. Because... The rest of the games they did, they tried to emulate what made The Walking Dead great with marginal success. I would say some of the games have been pretty good. There's maybe one or two that I was pretty disappointed about. So they did a Wolf, The Wolf Among Us. They did a Game of Thrones game. They did a couple Batman games. They did a Guardians of the Galaxy one. They did a couple Minecraft games. They did a uh, Borderlands game. And before they shut down, there was potentially ideas for another Wolf Among Us, another Game of Thrones, and potentially a Stranger Things game. Right around when the show was, you know, in the midst of its huge popularity. There's a lot of things that can be said about why they failed and I think having a lot more experience playing the games now compared to when I talked about it five years ago in 2018 I only played about maybe two or three of them Back to the Future the first Walking Dead game and the first Batman game since then I've played the rest of the Walking Dead games played the second Batman game, played The Wolf Among Us, Game of Thrones, Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm trying to think of anything else. Can't really think of much else off the top of my head, but if it does, I'll think about it. Once you see the post-Walking Dead stuff, it, it, it all blends together. That doesn't mean they're all bad but 
you can tell the it it definitely got more cookie cutter. And I think the worst was I'd say Guardians. I liked the idea of the story and I thought the graphics were pretty good, but otherwise it was just a lighter toned Walking Dead. And for as much as I liked the and I liked the two Batman games, but it was just The Walking Dead, but with Batman and doing some certain things with Batman and utilizing the you know the characters for the most part, you know, a grittier Batman. Uh, Game of Thrones, I think. If I had played it on something other than PlayStation Three, it probably would have ran better. But it was just a technical mess, which was also one of the bigger things. Their engine, I think it was called the Telltale Tool, it was archaic as the years went on, and trying to max out, I think, the hardware for PS3 and 360 kind of, I think, caused it to be more troublesome on a technical scale. And I'm just thinking, the best of the bunch, post-Walking Dead, that isn't a Walking Dead game, Wolf Among Us. Because it felt, it felt like Back to the Future, CSI, and kind of like a little bit of an L.A. Noir type approach. I think that's the best way I could describe it. And it was just interest, an interesting fairy tale type of type of game. You know, it was just it, I I had a lot more fun than I expected out of it. But buying up all these licenses and just all this other crap, it just they they spent too much. I th- you know I think and just the gameplay loop. I think there's better games. I can't really say much with other games that are styled after it, but. Don't Nod and Deck Nine with uh, Life is Strange games. I think those are just slightly better than I'd say the first Walking Dead game. I would say their Telltale's best efforts were were the first couple walk. I would say the entire Walking Dead series of games, with the exception of their miniseries Michonne. Back to the Future and The Wolf Among Us. I I actually enjoyed Wolf Among Us way more than I thought I was going to. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the weakest was Game of Thrones, so that's more of an asterisk because I played it on a system that couldn't handle it well. The hardware was was pretty good, but Overall, it just it ran like crap. It just wasn't optimized all that well. I'd love to see if they do this new version of Telltale does another Wolf Among Us that's been in the pipeline for such a long time. But they did do a new game. I want to look this up pretty quickly because I've seen it a couple times on here. I think it's called The Expanse or Expense. I think it's called. The X. 
Okay, is this... Okay, this is a... Is this a TV show? Okay, this is for the Sci-Fi Network. A TV show. Oh, man. I... Uh... Developed by... Ooh, Deck Nine. That... Okay. Developed by Deck Nine. That should give you a good idea on what they could potentially do. A prequel to the TVC. Okay. It's come out... This came out all around this year, from the end of July through the end of... September's okay. Announced a couple of years ago. Okay. I want to see if it's okay. It's fared. It's fared pretty well. Seems like people are enjoying it, but. Maybe with Deck Nine being involved, maybe Telltale can learn a thing or two from Life is Strange and maybe a couple other games from other companies. Because that last season of The Walking Dead, that game definitely felt like it It tried to be somewhat similar to Life is Strange to some capacity. Yeah, I just hope they just... I hope they do something original at some point and not just use TV and movie licenses and other types of licenses. Because they have the capacity to do well. I would love to see something original. Do their own IP. It would be pretty cool to see. So that should wrap everything here. As I said before, this is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts, so head on down in those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So that is episode 165. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.